Hello and welcome to the Week 5 Football Outsiders Coach Ranking Show. I'm your host, Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst here at Football Outsiders. Joining me as he does every week is Vince Verhey, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. Vince, how are you doing on this fine afternoon? Doing just fine, Ian. Happy to be here. Good. Glad to have you. Like I said, as always, Vince always here with us, giving a lot of good insight into some coaching decisions as well as some strategy that we saw in the games last week and that we're going to look at uh, coming up for this week as well. Before we do, just want to remind all of you out there watching that you can still play on Underdog Fantasy with us and get a free $100. You can double your first deposit up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. If you're not familiar with them, they're very well known for best ball drafting. With NFL best ball season over for full season long, Underdog does have other user friendly game formats to spice up all of the game action you can try their battle royale which is a six round best ball best ball style draft with simpler chances to win than you have in some of those traditional fantasy sports sites or you can try your hand at their pick'em games where you can wager on players chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines basically prop betting where you build out a parlay and try and get all of those correct and you can do that even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available Underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around, so join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's a free $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. So Vince, the big story from the past week, we talked about it going into week four, and now coming out of week four going into week five was that Bills-Ravens game. Now Baltimore up big, 20-3 at halftime. We talked about what the Dolphins did to uh, to slow down the Bills last week. Did the Ravens pretty much copy the Dolphins' blueprint from the second half of last week, or did they do things differently in that first half? So in week three, uh, the Dolphins, who have been for years one of the most aggressive teams in the league, they blitzed Island like crazy in the first half and then kind of called off the dogs in the second half. Uh, they finished that game with 11 blitzes. Uh, excuse me, no, 10 blitzes, and most of those were in the first half. The Ravens against uh, Buffalo, they blitzed 11 times, which is about the same total. I'm not sure how much that changed from one half to the next. Uh, they held them to about 7.2 yards of uh, average up the target, which is up about a yard from what Miami did. But still, that's still below league average or right around league average, I guess. If I have it right here open. Uh, league average is eight yards on the dot, so still below average there. Um the big difference or a big big thing they did is that the Miami didn't do is they did not allow Lamar Jackson to hit any big plays downfield. Um, we all remember Lamar's, you know, the, the fireworks show Lamar Jackson and Tua Tagovailoa had uh, the, the uh, excuse me, I'm a little confused here, but anyway, Buffalo's, uh, Bu- Buffalo's longest pass play against Baltimore was only 21 yards. So they did make Allen be patient and uh, uh, march his way down the field. Yeah, and then we saw Baltimore scored zero points after halftime. We'll talk about one of those decisions where they could have gotten three here in a, in a moment. But what changed in that second half uh, that allowed Buffalo to come back? Was it uh, more long plays or was there more involved in that? It's a cliche that they always say every football game comes down to a handful of plays. But in this case, well, it's often true. But in this case, it's definitely true. Uh, the Ravens only had four drives in the second half. Two of them ended in interceptions, one of which we're going to discuss here in detail. What happened the other two times when they punted? Well, they had a uh, penalty that sent them into a second and 15. They couldn't get out of that. They had a run stop on first and 10. They put them into a second 12, and they couldn't recover from that. And I looked this up. The Ravens are actually number one this year in DVOA on second and long situations. But being the best in a bad situation still means you're in a bad situation. (laughs) So uh, it's best to not be in second along in the first place rather than to – it's better to be 
uh, to avoid second and long altogether than to be very good in second and long. And the Ravens found themselves in long yard situations and couldn't recover. And you combine that with a pair of turnovers. And there you go. That's zero points and a half. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned it right there. You, you're you in a – just being good in a bad situation is always good. It's going to catch up to you eventually, especially when you're going against a good defense like Buffalo. Uh, we've meant both kind of alluded to this decision that if uh, – for those of you watching, if you don't know uh, what it is yet, we'll get to it right here. Now, the Ravens could have gotten three more points, but there was a very controversial decision late from John Harbaugh. It's been a hot topic of discussion all week. They had a fourth and goal at the two. They're tied at 20. And 4.15 left in the fourth quarter, so not a lot of time. This game is just about over. He decides to go for it instead of taking the go-ahead field goal. With Justin Tucker, you're pretty much automatic at that point, a 20-yarder, close to 100% there. Just an increase of 2.7% in win probability pre-snap by choosing to go for it. I was a little surprised that it wasn't a little bit higher than that, just knowing how uh, the model usually works, and especially a fourth and two with an offense like uh, Baltimore. But what did you think about the decision there, Vince? So... You can knock the play call. Maybe they should have run or maybe not had because Jackson dropped back to like his own 15 or so before lobbing that pass into the end zone. But the the, the the hindsight criticism of saying that if they had kicked a field goal, they would have just gone to overtime is idiotic for several reasons. Uh, first of all, Buffalo had, after that fourth, that field fourth down play, Buffalo took the ball and they had a first and goal at the three and they started taking knees from there before kicking the field goal to win the game. If Baltimore had kicked a field goal when they quote-unquote should have, all that would have happened at the end there is Buffalo would have had three tries to to try for a touchdown. And then the worst-case scenario for them probably is uh, kicking the field goal and going to overtime anyway. So this notion that if they had kicked the field goal, they would have gone to overtime, completely a false premise to begin with. And second of all, the goal is not to go to overtime. Losing in overtime counts the same as losing in regulation. And going overtime, you know, spoiler, it's a 50-50 shot. So it's not – you don't get a brownie point for taking – It's not hockey. (laughs) It's not hockey. It's it's, it's not soccer. You don't don't get a – you don't get any extra credit for going overtime and and, and losing there. you got to try to win when you can. So playing aggressive there, um, you know, is clearly – I think clearly the right thing to do. It's Josh Allen. We've seen him rally teams before. Uh, he had rallied this team, this, this Bills team today, because the, the Ravens jumped out to an early lead. Um, so, you know, the, the lesson that I took away from both – actually, we'll talk about that more in the, the Patriots-Packers game here about that lesson. But um, the, the key here and the most worrisome thing for Baltimore to me is not so much the play calling as that this has been a pattern now for a couple of years where their defense has been much worse after halftime than it was in the first half. This year – they're fifth in defensive DOA and DVOA in the first half, but fall to 26th after halftime. And you say, well, that's only four games. It's a small sample size. Well, last year they were 18th in the first half, 31st in the second half. And the year before that, they were second in the first half, but 17th in the second half. So this has been a pattern for Baltimore now for going on three years in a row where they are much worse after halftime. And usually these kind of splits just kind of even out the kind of random noise, but it's becoming a pattern in Baltimore that is all too familiar. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you on the decision to go for it there. Uh, and Harbaugh's defense, he had some good points you know, at the end. He said it gives us the best chance to win the game, which we said is almost 3% uh, in a better chance to win the game. Uh, he said if we score the worst-case scenario, they go down and score, and we go to overtime. And if they get the touchdown there, your point, they were on the three-yard line. There was a good chance of them scoring anyway. 
The field goal, he said, makes it a four-down game, putting the defense at a disadvantage because they have to get in field goal range and a touchdown beats them, so they're going for it. But a big thing that Aaron pointed out, uh, Aaron Schatz and, and quoted, quote tweeted the other day, I think it was on Monday, it came out, Harbaugh said he's expecting them to get the ball at the two-yard line if you fail, which right. probably 98, 99 times out of 100, they run that play if they fail. It's not a turnover. They just or It's a turnover on downs, not an interception in the end zone. The difference between first and 10 at the two and at the 20 versus for Buffalo is about 6% in win probability. So might not seem like a lot, but it takes them from, I think it was over 60 down to below 55, get you pretty close to a 50-50 proposition. So I'm with you and I like the decision there. Yeah, and and, and, and Harbaugh has a uh, track record of going for it in, in key situations. And it doesn't always work, but he's sticking to his gun. So credit to him for that. Yeah, and we, we saw too – uh, Lamar, arguably the best quarterback in the league so far this year. Devin DuVernay was open on that play, too. Lamar couldn't see him because he had 6'6", 260-pound Greg Rousseau right in his face. But Buffalo, to your point, got down to the three. On their prior th- four drives, they punted. They had negative uh, 11 yards for that. They went 80 yards for a touchdown, 51 yards in a field goal, 76 yards in a touchdown. So, you, like you said, they, Buffalo moved the ball a lot better in the second half. Uh and yeah, that's that's a hundred percent. They're not a hundred percent, but the right decision there. Uh, I think uh, most people have agreed on that. I've seen there's some that don't, but you and I here agree. So that's a hundred percent that we've got right now. And we'll slide into that Patriots-Packers game you mentioned. A lot closer than most expected. Uh, Brian Hoyer was knocked out of the game on the second series. Rookie Bailey Zappi, who's the third string quarterback, came on to replace him. Green Bay was able to pull it out at the last second in overtime. But Green Bay was above average in both offensive and defensive DVOA this week. The Patriots were below average in both. So how was New England able to keep this close enough to have a shot at victory with a rookie third-string quarterback in there? So the biggest thing is uh, Aaron Rodgers in a terrible first half and a terrible ending to that terrible first half. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people know he threw a pick six in this game. That's only the fourth pick six of his career. Uh, to put that in perspective, Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert, a couple of young quarterbacks who a lot of people are high on, they have each thrown four pick sixes in their career. So Aaron Rodgers tied them. Um, uh, it's been starting since 2008 or whatever it is. So it's a fluky thing. It doesn't happen that often. You can't uh, expect that to happen. And it, there's nothing you can say that New England really did to force it. It's just Aaron Rodgers, you know, for, for a very rare occasion, made a huge mistake. And then you look at the circumstances. The circumstances make it look so much worse because that play was third and nine around around midfield with about 20 seconds left in the half. So the odds of Green Bay getting any points in that situation are not high. Uh, that, that That's a time to just spike the ball and punt it back to New England or, or throw it out of bounds or, or even take a sack. Take a sack would have been obviously much better there. So just a very out-of-character, rare, once-every-five-seasons brain fart from Aaron Rodgers. The Patriots benefited. And that's one play, and it, you know there's there's a uh, hundred some plays in that first half, but that that one play swings things so huge. It's just a gift of seven points to New England um, that they, they they were were quite frankly just lucky to get, and that's what it comes down to. Um, and then Rogers turned it around because he's Aaron Rodgers. He, he by by passing DR, he was the worst quarterback in the first half this week, thanks mainly to that pick six. Mm-hmm. But then he turned it on. He was the best quarterback in the second half in overtime. And uh, that's what's going to happen. And this is the point I was starting to make with Josh Allen earlier because Rodgers was the worst passer in the first half. Uh, Josh Allen was the worst passer in the first quarter, had a bad interception to set the Ravens up for a short touchdown drive. But you can't expect for these great quarterbacks to play like that for four quarters. 
You may get lucky against them for a quarter. You may get lucky and get a bad game out of them for a half, but they're going to come back on you, which is why you have to coach aggressively like John Harbaugh did. Uh, you, you, you have to, when you have the lead, you know, step on their throats, keep them down, don't give them a shot to come back on you. Um, and that's what, that's what you have to do when you're playing Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers. The Baltimore Ravens couldn't do it. The New England Patriots couldn't do it. And the Bills and Packers won. Um, but, but as far as what they did, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. They, they, they happened to be on the field and benefiting when Aaron Rodgers was just playing bad football. Yeah, and it was just a terrible throw for what I saw. It didn't even look like it really had a shot completion. I think the receiver was even jump, went to jump up for it and fell down. Something, but it was wide open spaces from that point. You mentioned you don't want to give those kind of quarterbacks a chance to come back. And speaking of decisions, two of the three worst decisions by win probability came from this game where the coaches gave the ball away to give the other team a chance to come back. One of them, I don't really mind the decision. The other, I think, is is a little bit clearer error. The first one, it was the Packers having fourth and eight at the New England 40. Only two minutes and two seconds left in the fourth quarter. Matt LaFleur chose to punt. Now, we had this as an 8.6% error just because of the strength of that Packers offense and Aaron Rodgers. I don't necessarily mind this decision, especially being a Green Bay fan. Fourth and eight is still tough to convert. Um, it's not the fourth and, I think, 15 or something we saw last week that we were talking about. Um, but that's a long field goal for the lead. Mason Crosby, it's a 58-yarder. That's Mason Crosby's career long. Uh, if I remember, I looked this up on Monday for the show with, with Mike, the recap uh, that we do on Mondays. He's hit a, a 57-yarder a couple other times, but that 58-yarder was back in, like, 2010. It was a long time ago. The miss gives the Patriots great field position, only needing 20-ish yards for a game winner with two minutes left. So I don't mind this as much uh, when you're looking at it as an error in this situation. What about you? I, If I am the Packers in this situation, I punt 100 times out of 100. Um, and, again, we, we talked about how – I mentioned this in past weeks, but – the numbers we have are based on league averages and uh, not tailored to suitable games. They don't know that the Packers were playing against a third string quarterback and uh, New England had three scoring drives in this game. They were not good at going moving quickly. All of them took uh, close to four minutes or longer. So punting back to Bailey Zappi with two minutes left, I would feel confident in my defense to not let him get a score in two minutes and uh, take my chances in overtime where I have the significantly better quarterback, yeah. and I, I, I will take my chances there. Uh, Zappi got a couple of uh, uh, big plays, a, a small number of big plays. We'll get here shortly, but I, I would trust my chances on not getting beat by him and, uh, like I say, um, go ahead and risk giving him the ball. And, in fact, the Patriots had no confidence in Zappi to win the game because they got the ball after that punt, and they ran three times and punted the ball right back. Yeah. So everyone knew what they were dealing with here. Bailey Zappi was in over his head. No one, uh, the, the, the most likely scenario with the game of the line is that he would have screwed something up and they were all trying to, well, the Patriots are trying to avoid that scenario. The Packers would have been very happy with that scenario. But like I say, if I'm the Packers, I punt every time. Yeah, and they took a delay of game to, to move them back a little bit. Punt ended up getting it down to the two-yard line, you said, and it was just three straight runs. Uh, didn't really even try. Had fourth and one at their own 11. Uh, some people maybe would argue to go for it there. But a fourth and one, but not a chance. Uh, even even with just one yard to go, like I said, you're at the end of the game there. But, but yeah, it ended up working out very well for the Packers there. That second one I mentioned, I, I side more with the error, uh, and that was the Patriots fourth and five. At the Green Bay 46, there's 6.54 left in overtime. This was the second possession after Green Bay had had the ball. 
Belichick chooses to punt. It's a 10.1% error. This is our highest error of the week, I believe it was, in terms of win probability. And looking at that, like the conversion already puts you in position for a long field goal to win. Yeah, you, you there's not a great chance at converting. Again, you have your third string quarterback. Um, but the opportunity just to gain a few more yards after that. So each yard they gain after a 41, the 41 yard line increases the makeability of that field goal. If they can convert that fourth and five going from a 58 yarder to a 55 yarder increases the chances of success by about four times. Punting gives the ball back to Aaron Rodgers, needing just a field goal to win kind of the opposite of what we just talked about with Bailey Zappi having the ball, you know, back in his own, uh, own deep in his own territory. It's Aaron Rodgers, no matter how deep you pin him, it's a dangerous man to give the ball back to, especially that would have been the first time they had the ball, a field goal wouldn't have won it. This time, a field goal wins that. So I I think Belichick should have gone for it here, even with the third string. Uh, Do you agree or you have a different take on this one? If I'm Bill Belichick in this situation, I'm down to number three. I have a chance to get my number three quarterback against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, mind you and escape that game with a tie, I'm playing for the tie. I, okay. I <laughs> Cut your losses. Damage control is a thing, man. Uh, that, that Coming away with a tie there is a, it would have would have been a success. They, they, it didn't work out that way. But we have, by this point, uh, a little more than three quarters of Bailey Zappi in action to see what he could do. And he, like I say, he had a couple of big plays. But officially, he had 18 dropbacks in this game. Like, it was 15 passes and three sacks. Only four of those plays picked up first downs. That's not a good percentage. And not if you want all. to say, well, Vinny, he, uh, you know, maybe he had some long yardage plays in there. Maybe he's better short yardage. No, no, he was not good in short yardage. Uh, five yards or less to go for a first down. He picked up a first down once in three plays. Uh, less than 10 yards, only two first downs in seven plays. This is not the guy I want to try and convert a fourth and five. Uh, so I'm putting in there. If, if, if they had gone for it, I actually would think they'd be better off handing off. They had uh, four runs in this game with exactly five, or excuse me, five. Yeah, five runs with exactly five yards to go and picked up a first down on four of those runs. So they would have been better handing off and passing on fourth and five. And I would much rather punt than hand off on fourth and five. So like I say, uh, uh, I'm, I'm with Belichick in this one. I would have uh, punted and uh, hope my defense could just get one, maybe one more stop and uh, get out of Green Bay with a tie and be happy with that in this scenario. Yeah, that, that's the way Belichick played it. Unfortunately for him and the Patriots, it did not work out. As we know, Green Bay, uh, Rodgers got them down the field and kicked that field goal as time expired and overtime to win that game was, a pretty, I think, like a 31-yarder. So they got all the way down the field even after that punt. But uh, some tough decisions there in that game. And then another big one came on Monday Night Football. This takes us into our worst decisions. We've already couple, covered two of the biggest just one here, but 49ers had fourth and goal at the one. 14-55 left in the fourth quarter, very, very beginning of the fourth quarter. San Francisco is up five. It's 14-9. to nine. They kicked the field goal after taking the delay of game. Field goal puts the team up eight. It's still a one-score game. We talked about this last week. I don't think this is surprising from Shanahan. What did you? What were you thinking when you saw this, if you were watching this one? No, he's always been very, very conservative. We saw it in the playoffs against Dallas last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does not like to go forward on fourth down. And my first thought was, it's kind of funny because this whole offense is built around the running game and play action and, and yards after the catch and short throws and things. These are the kind of things that should theoretically work in short yardage. And I thought about it more, and I wrote the San Francisco chapter uh, two years ago, I guess. And um, when you watch San Francisco's running game, 
they have a very small offensive line, one of the smallest offensive lines in the league. They get it done on leverage and play calling and finesse. They don't just overpower teams. And so I looked it up, and over the past five years, they're, they're 20th in short yardage offense this year by DVOA. Uh, the past five years, they've been below average for those five years. Their best ranking was 11th in 2020. Even when they went to the Super Bowl, they were 18th in short yardage in 2019. So the Shanahan offense does a lot of things well, but short yardage is not one of them. So I guess if you want to, uh, I don't know if devil's advocate is the right term, but if, if you want to, to, to credit Shanahan for knowing what his team is good and not good at and not playing to their weaknesses, then you can say, hey, um, you know, they're not a good short yardage team. They're better off kicking, but it's one yard, man. One yard and you, you, you clinch this win at the, division rival win against the defending Super Bowl champions. It's a big deal. Just go get your three feet. Uh, and he didn't. And fortunately, his defense is playing with a hair on fire right now. <laughs> and, uh, and and the Rams uh, get blocked for Matt Stafford to save their lives right now. Yes, I, I didn't see that until right before we were recording this. But uh, Stafford took seven sacks on Monday night. And I, I got to think that's the most of a Sean McVay team. Uh, that's, that's a ton. And then the offensive yeah. line is what he's kind of built his team around. So anyway, um you know, like it, it worked for, for Kyle in this case. Uh, I think we'd all like to see him play more aggressively, but uh, that's not what his team is good at. Yeah, almost. You mentioned them being more of kind of a finesse team. We'd like to see them have, a, a, you know, a, one of those. Oh, it just I keep envisioning, envisioning the old Peyton Manning, the, the boot where he's just there's no one expecting him to take that ball around the end, have some kind of fake to Debo or Jeff Wilson one way and Garoppolo just like jogging out to the side, trying yeah. something like that. but. Um, got to go for it in the first place to try something like that. Maybe they're saving up one of those plays for when they really need it later in the season. Yeah, you, you, you fake, a, fake a just sweep to Debo, hand off to, uh, to Wilson going the other way, see what happens. But, you know, it's not my team. Yep, next time. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Uh, switching over to the best decisions, there were, really weren't a ton of big ones. There was one big one that I noticed um, – and it was Brandon Staley. Again, he gets crushed when his aggressiveness fails. Sometimes it is a little too aggressive. It doesn't always feel like get the credit he deserves when it works. And there was one this week. This is another one I brought up with Mike on Monday. The Texans made that furious comeback. Uh, Chargers were only up by three at this point. I think it was 27-24. Had a fourth and one or fourth and two. I've seen – saw both numbers in different play-by-play spots. But at their own 45, 523 left in the fourth quarter, decided to go for it. And he converted. They went on to score the touchdown to take a 10-point lead and ended up winning the game. If you fail in this situation, Houston is close to tying field goal range already in position to get a game-winning touchdown. That offense isn't great, but they've, like I said, they made a furious comeback there uh, to go for it. But the, the the defense on the Houston side really isn't isn't that good. The, the Chargers did pretty well there. What did you think about that? I don't know. This was one of a handful of games going on all at once. You might not have seen it, but after the fact, uh, do you have any thoughts on this one too? Yeah, I don't, I don't think many people saw this. I don't think the Chargers-Texans game was uh, on the radar for a lot of people, except uh, Justin Herbert, fantasy managers. So, um, and Austin Eckler, maybe. <laughs> and Austin Eckler and Mike Williams. They, they got some fantasy guys. But uh, as far as uh, your your average uh, pizza and beer Sunday football fan, I don't think this was high on their uh, pecking order. But anyway. Uh, I think the key thing here is 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 the clock. Uh, there's about five and a half minutes left there. You're you're almost to midfield. If they go for it on fourth down and don't get it, the most likely scenario then is that the Texans 
or the, the most likely worst case scenario mm-hmm. is uh, the Texans score either a field goal or, or a touchdown, but then you still have time to answer. Yep. They're probably not going to take five minutes to, to run 45 yards or whatever it was uh, to get those points. So you're probably going to have two or three minutes left to get your own answering score. So even if they had failed and even if their defense had broken down, all would not have been lost. Mm-hmm. So the downside here was not the downside it appears to be. Um, the, the, it, it, if there's two minutes left and you go for it there, now you're giving themselves a chance to fall behind and never get the ball back. Yeah. Uh, but with that much time on the, on the clock, what probably happens is each team gets the ball once. And so, uh, you know, they, they probably would have had another chance. And then, of course, you know, fourth and one or two, you're probably going to get it. And uh, that's easy to show. And we all know this. So um, we like the call. It, make, it all makes total sense. And this is one of those things that, uh, you know, everyone in the world was talking about the Ravens going for it on fourth down at the end of their game because they failed. When coaches go for it on fourth down and it succeeds, unless it's the last play of the game, no one knows. No one pays yeah. attention. Uh, they, only, they only talk about the, the – the, no one credits the coach when it works. They only roast him when it fails. Um, everyone remembers the Philly special in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. the touchdown pass to Nick Foles. No one remembers it was on fourth down right before halftime. Yep. So, um, <laughs> absolutely right. That part's forgotten. Yeah, and I think it was uh, either Lamar or John Harbaugh when I was uh, reading an article about them. You know, kind of what went into that decision. One of the two said, "Hey, you know, if we get that, people aren't or people are like praising us, like, oh, what a great call, what a great decision." He said that one was closer to the end of the game, had a much bigger impact on the game because it was tied, choosing field goal versus go for that type of thing. But you're absolutely right. Unless it's end of the game or um, you know, something like the Philly or even Philly, especially said they don't remember it's fourth down. You don't don't get the credit you deserve because they say, oh, you went for it. You got it. You should have done it anyway. It's only it's only questioned most of the time, at least by people outside of, of what we do when they don't get it. Then it's like, oh, well, should they have gone for it or not? But there are some times for those of you watching where we do have coaches that go for it where we think they should have punted or kicked the field goal. So that does happen sometimes. I'm uh, not always about going for it, but there were a handful of coaches that did go for it in their own territory in close games before the fourth quarter even hit. Baltimore had one at their own 34 in a tie game late in the third quarter. Cleveland, fourth and one at their own 29 in the second quarter. Uh, Carolina and Philly each had one on their 39 and 30 in the first quarter. And then Pittsburgh uh, had one in the at their own 31, down four early in the third quarter. So just want to point those out. And there was a, I forget who the article was today. Maybe the Athletic had it. Saw that coaches are going for it a lot more on fourth downs this year, but also doing it earlier in games. So Kind of to the point we just made, want to give credit where credit's due with coaches going for it earlier in the game when it's not necessarily a big moment like that. But that'll take us into uh, something we also want to look at, our best or worst coaching job so far. We're only, um, I guess it used to be a quarter of the way through the season for teams at four games, now with the 17-game schedule. Just under a quarter, but still a good point to check in and see see what we're seeing from these coaches and these teams. Vince, what is your, what's your pick here for uh, either the best or the worst coaching job so far? Well, <laughs> I, the worst is Nathaniel Hackett. That conversation's over. Yeah. Uh, the best... <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a bunch. Uh, you look at what Nick Sirianni is doing in Philadelphia. I'm going to talk about him in a minute. That's that's going well, obviously. Uh, Pete Carroll and the Seahawks are, have been better than anyone thought with Geno Smith and, and and you know Shane Waldron is the coordinator. He deserves a ton of credit for that. Um, and there's and some good articles on our site, by the way, about uh, Geno Smith and kind of looking at the film and the numbers on him. So check those out. Uh, it may or may not be a fluke. There's a couple on there, so don't forget to check those out for those of you watching. 
It was Geno Smith week of Football Outsiders. We literally, we, we get our cover photos from the USA Today uh, uh, photo set. We literally used every photo they had of Geno <laughs> Smith from the Detroit Lions game in articles this week because we wrote about him so much. Yeah. So if you were a Seahawks fan, a Geno Smith believer, if you, in fact, are Geno Smith, you might want to come read our site there and uh, see what we have to say about you. It's, it's good. <laughs> You're doing very well. You should be happy. So uh, anyway, the, uh, as far as coaches, there's one that's flying really under the radar. Um, I, I think he deserves more credit than he's getting. It's Arthur Smith in Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons last year were 7-10, and 10, but by any metric, they were not nearly that good. Uh, you can look at points scored, points allowed, DVOA, the eyeball test. They had a lot of really fluky wins. That was a team that should have won three or four games to somehow yep. find a way to win seven. And people thought they were going to be more like three or four win level here in, in, in 2022, but so far they're two and two. Their two losses are by a combined five points. They gave out that miracle rally to, to the Jameis Winston, the Saints in week one. They lost a very close one to the Rams in week two. Since then, they've got a pair of wins over Seattle and Cleveland. Those are not joke teams. Both the Seahawks and Browns in the top half of DVOA. So the Falcons have beaten good teams here. Through four games, we've got a D- total DVOA of 6.7%, offensive DVOA of 10.7%. Those would both be the best for any Falcons team since the Super Bowl year of 2016. Wow. So this, this Marquis, Marcus Mariota-led run the ball and, and throw deep, uh, it's working. It's working very well. And the defense isn't as good. It's only 22nd in DVOA, but they were 30th last year. So that's a big jump forward. And mostly they're getting it done by running the ball a lot. Cordero Patterson through four weeks leads all qualified running backs in DVOA. He's going to be out here for, I think, about six weeks, they're saying, uh, back sometime, uh, hopefully by week nine. But uh, he leads all running backs in DVOA, but his backups have been doing well. Uh, Tyler Allgaier has been well above average in DVOA. Caleb Huntley well above average. Avery Williams has only had four carries, but he's averaging over nine yards a carry on those runs. So I think they'll survive this uh, period here without Patterson. And they're going to be – the worst you can say is that they're going to be a tough out. Uh, the best you can say is that the NFC is so – well, the NFL as a whole, but the NFC is so muddled. There's Philadelphia and 15 teams tied for second place. There's no reason to think that in a month's time, the Falcons won't still be in the middle of at least the wild card hunt. Yeah, and that division not really looking great. The Saints, Bucks, Bucks are both, uh, I think everyone's at two and two, or the Panther, except the Panthers maybe. Um, he said they're also muddled. It seems like every team's at two and two, but the Eagles uh, at that point. But um, to your point too, Avery Williams is a converted cornerback and having success at running back this year. Um, Patterson's a converted wide receiver slash yeah. kick return. Yeah, <laughs> it, took, it took NFL teams a decade to say, let's just put him in the backfield and hand him the ball and see what happens. Yeah, was was a bit a fantasy sleeper every single year in the NFL until last year, and then is when he's had his breakout yeah. year. Yeah, he's been been very good there as well. The one thing so uh, thank you could, find those uh, NFC South standings is Tampa Bay and Atlanta tied at two and two, and the Saints and Panthers both at one and three. I'll look up this Atlanta schedule here for the upcoming year. Well, it's going to well, they're, they're at Tampa Bay this week, and uh, win or loss there will tell us a lot about what's going to happen over the rest mm-hmm. of the year. Uh, they get 49ers and Bengals in a row. So they're, they're facing a tough stretch cup up ahead. I mean, I may be a little too optimistic, but still, still uh, great job by Arthur Smith this far in the season. Yeah, doing well so far. The one knock I think you could have on him, and this mainly comes from fantasy managers, is get Kyle Pitts more involved. He's been uh, yeah. not been anything what he was last year, but 
Uh, like I said, they're two and two. They're doing a lot better than people expected. So whatever they have to do to win games. For me, I would say the best. Uh, there's not really a lot to say. Doug Peterson just taking over that, that Jaguars team. He's done a great – we've mentioned he's got more talent there, but he's just got them prepared. Like you said last week, it is the biggest thing. Um keeping those Jaguars looking really good. They uh, had a tough – got up big on the Eagles, but then the Eagles did their thing, came back, uh, but really liked the the Jaguars, and they're still still doing really well near the top in DVOA uh, through four weeks, which not a lot of people would have expected. So they're the worst for me, and you could maybe – I don't know how much of this you could put on the coach. You might have a little bit more clarity uh, on this, but Indianapolis uh, expected to be, I would say, near the top of their division, them and the Titans – Dead last in DVOA through four games. Dead last in offense, which a lot of that uh, on you know the new quarterback Matt Ryan, who we thought would be a lot better. Uh, been a little banged up. They had the game with uh, no, their top two receivers were out. The offensive line though hasn't been what it once was. Uh, they were at one just even a few years ago an elite unit. The defense not really doing very well. People thought it was going to be the strong suit. They're their thirteenth, but still only middle of the pack. Again, I don't know how much of that is on. Frank Reich, uh, but I mean, when you're the head man, you got to take the credit when things go well and take the blame when things go badly, I think. So Indianapolis, I guess, overall has been a real disappointment so far. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, they have, there's no doubt. Uh, The the FO staff uh, in particular was very high on them. They were the most, they were the most popular pick for a team to beat their DVOA projection. And suffice to say, they have not done that. Um, and it's hard. I don't know how much of that is, is on the coach, how much is the personnel, how much is on injuries. Shaq Leonard's been out for a long time. You mentioned the receivers. Uh, they have been trying to get by on a rent-a-quarterback system, uh, find a veteran, hope to get his last good year out of him. And it's been, you know, partly by design, partly by circumstances, what they've been doing. But it looks like this year they grabbed a guy just as he ran out of gas. And uh, Matt Ryan looks very much done. And, and um to be perfectly honest, when you look at what Atlanta's doing without him, he may have been part of the problem with the Falcons for the past couple of years. And maybe he was being uh, 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 covered up by uh, talented players around him. Um, but yeah, um, the, 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 certainly one of the most disappointing teams out of the gate. Absolutely. And that takes us into our last segment, our week five coaching matchups preview. We pick uh, one of our best matchups we like coaching. Uh, it can also be uh, – just the most enticing matchup of the week. What are you picking for your top matchup this week, Vince? So usually here you, you'll think you want to pick uh, your last year I picked a revenge game with uh, Doug mm-hmm. Peterson or last week I picked a revenge game with Doug Peterson going back to Philadelphia or a certain, you know, chess mass at chess match aspect to us and like that. I'm kind of sadistic. <laughs> like I, I write, I think writing quick reads for a long time has made me appreciate uh, terrible football. And last week's, Cardinals, Panthers, for especially the first half, just an absolute clown show. Uh, terrible turnovers, terrible play calls, 30 minutes of yakety sacks football. And so now the Cardinals got their act together in the second half. The Panthers obviously didn't. The, Panthers, the Cardinals get the win and move on. But now they have to go play Philadelphia, who has been one of the top coach teams this year. They've been the best team in the NFC by miles and miles. Uh, they, they haven't really been challenged in any of the four wins. I looked this up right before we came on here. Uh, the Eagles defense has been on the field for one play this year in the fourth quarter where the opponents had a chance to tie the game or take the lead. Uh, on that play, they sacked Trevor Lawrence and forced a fumble and recovered. That is the closest anyone has come to beating Philadelphia this year. So they don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves. 
and uh, the Cardinals make all kinds of mistakes and beat themselves routinely. So it's a complete mismatch there. But what's really fascinating to me about this is the Eagles offense is kind of the offense that Cliff Kingsbury wants to run. Uh, it's a lot of shotgun spread or a lot, a lot of shotgun formations, a lot of shotgun runs. The Cardinals and Eagles are for, in first place, first and second place by miles in uh, runs out of shotgun formations. I saw that from Benjamin Solik of the Ringer just a minute or two ago. And they're running out of shotgun. They both want to run out of shotgun. Uh, they both want to get lots of yards per completion or like, like yards after catch, but the Eagles are much better at it. 6.9 yards after catch per completion. That's second behind Carolina, which is the one thing the Panthers are doing well. Uh, and both teams you think would want to run the ball with the quarterback a lot. Uh, the Eagles are doing it a lot more and a lot better. Uh, Jalen Hurts is first among quarterbacks with 53 carries. That puts him on pace for 225. And the record, as uh, Solik pointed out here, is only 176 by Lamar Jackson in 2019. So Hertz is doing it all. And uh, it, it could be a lot of fun watching the Eagles beat the Cardinals at their own game. Yeah, that'll be an exciting one. See if Arizona can get it together. Hasn't looked good for them so far. For me, I'm going to go Cincinnati and Baltimore. Um, not, not necessarily for the coaching matchup here, but – we know what happened last year. Uh, Baltimore had all the injuries, but Cincinnati came out and dominated them in two games. They won the first one, 41-17. to Kind of a revenge game, as you mentioned, yours you went last week. But 41-17 at Baltimore last year in week six or seven, I think. That's the game where Jamar Chase just went off for 201 yards. Then they won 41-21 at home late in the season. Uh, Lamar Jackson was out of that one, but Burrow set the franchise record with 525 passing yards. T. Higgins had 194 and two touchdowns. In Cincinnati just embarrassed Baltimore in two games last year. So I'm looking to see how Baltimore comes out. You know they're a well-coached team. Speaking of coaching performances, John Harbaugh, uh, they're coming off that disappointing loss. Uh, but that should be a big one in Baltimore. Uh, and I'm really excited to see that one with Lamar and a lot of those guys back for Baltimore. I think they're still down. Ronnie Stanley, which is a, a big part of that play the other, that we mentioned as well, he was, was out there. So – Pretty much healthier than they were last year, but I think that'll be a really exciting one. All the teams in the AFC North sitting at two and two right now, and that was actually uh, our, our the, one of the questions we had in our staff predictions for this week, looking at the betting odds there. So well, that'll come out uh, tomorrow, later today or tomorrow. You can kind of see what, what a lot of us think on the best value bet in the AFC North so far. It will come out yesterday when people are listening to this. Oh, that's correct. Yesterday. <laughs> Hopefully the, the odds haven't changed too much there, but yeah, I'll send it two and two. So this is a big one in the, in the AFC North between Cincinnati and Baltimore. Really excited for that one. So that will do it for this week's coach ranking show. Before we go, don't want to want you to not forget that you can get a free $100 from underdog fantasy using promo code outsiders. Again, even in States where traditional prop betting is not available, they'll match your deposit up to $100. Again, promo code outsiders. Also don't forget to sign up for FO plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Get NFL betting picks, fantasy advice, premium stats, and articles. You get an ad-free experience. You also get access to all of our stats on Monday with the Monday drop, whereas in the past it was available on Tuesday for everyone. Now it's available on Monday, but only with an FO Plus subscription. And DVOA a lot of times is used and helps shift some of the betting markets. You can get a little bit of an advantage there if you're a, a media person or uh, aspiring media person, up-and-coming media personality, get access to a lot of that data you can use in some of your work on Monday before everyone else has access to it. And then last but certainly not least, join us on the Football Outsiders Discord channel for in-game conversation during every game starting tomorrow night with believe it, Denver and Indianapolis this week on Thursday night. Is that right? 
yes, the uh, Battle of the Horses. Uh, yes, Colts and Broncos. <laughs> Absolutely uh, right. So, yeah, don't forget actually, we'll be yeah. on the Discord channel uh, yeah. during that game, and then on Sunday, and then Monday night as well. Thank you for joining, Vince. Thanks for being on here with me as always. I'll see you and see everyone out there next week. Take it easy.